you ever made a mistake and you were not aware of it? I have many, many times. I remember one of the first ones that caught my attention. When I was a teenager, they asked me to make announcements on Sunday morning. We had a young couple there at church that were a great young couple. They were just so active with our young people. And I got up and announced that the devotional that night would be at Brother Gala and Sister Herman's house. I looked out over the audience and people smiled at me. And I thought they just thought I was doing a good job. (laughs) After church, I realized that I had referred to Herman as sister and Gala as brother. And from that time, I have made many, many more. In preparing the church bulletin, sometimes you realize that people will make you aware of mistakes that you have made, and I have made many of them. Some of those mistakes are minor, they're insignificant, maybe humorous, but still they're just minor mistakes. Sometimes, however, we make some very serious ones, and sometimes we're not aware of them. It's really good news that God doesn't give up on us after we fall. I don't know if you realize that when you read the book of Galatians, God really loves each and every one of us. He doesn't desire that one of us stumble, that one of us fall, but He recognizes we will. And God cares enough to want us to return We as brethren ought not give up on one another very easily either. We ought not look at one another and say, that person has no value. Just give up and let them fall. Sometimes we're too quick to assume that a brother or a sister is not going to change. In Luke chapter 15, you all are aware of the prodigal son. You remember how he lived a life that was a big mistake. He went into a far country. He wasted his father's inheritance with riotous living. But then he comes to himself and he returns home. When you get to verse 28, you read the attitude of his brother is that he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, the father came and pleaded with him. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours who has came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you've killed the fatted calf for him. You see, the truth is that the elder brother did not believe that there was anything redeemable in his brother. And yet at the same time, we ought to be willing and ready to forgive and receive back one who repents. You'll remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul had said with regards to one who had his father's wife that he was to be delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He commanded them in verse 9 that they withdraw from every brother who did those things as well as some other things. 
Yet by the time we get to the book of 2 Corinthians, to chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, he says, so on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. What you see, if you study the Bible, is a very plain, clear message. And what it is, we ought to love, we ought to be concerned with our fallen brethren and try to save them. We're going to study the first few verses of Galatians chapter 6. There's going to be three things that I want us to observe in that. I want us to observe a lapse in judgment. And that's really what he's talking about here. Then number two, I want us to look at the love that we ought to have for one's brethren. And then finally, a load to bear. Let's begin with verse 1 again. Look at it carefully with me. We're going to just pause on each of these words as we go through. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. The first word is brethren. Sometimes we don't think about our relationship to one another. I want you to refer back to Abraham and Lot as they were growing and the number of their herds and their herdsmen had began to multiply, the lamb was not able to bear both of them. And as strife began to develop, Abraham went to Lot and he said, Let there be no strife between me and you, between your herdsmen's and my herdsmen's, for we are brethren. We're brethren. Because of that, we ought to act like we're brethren. Because of that, we ought to realize what it is we're trying to do. James chapter 5, 19 says, Brethren, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. And cover a multitude of sins. We've got to look at our brethren and realize their soul is in jeopardy. And we care about our brethren. Then he says, brethren, if a man be overtaken. This word overtaken is rather unique and interesting. It means to be taken by surprise. That means that the sin that he is contemplating is neither willful nor premeditated. Now the truth is, is that sin and Satan can be deceiving. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be vigilant, watch. If I were going to be walking in an area where snakes might be or alligators, 
come get me. I need to go to the funny farm. But if I have to be walking there, then I want to be very aware of what's on the ground. Watch where I step. You and I have to realize that it's easy for things to catch us unawares. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11 said, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know the way the devil works. We know the wiles of the devil. Ephesians chapter 6. 2 Timothy 2.26 speaks about those. He says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. The devil is out there trying to entrap you. You have to be aware of that. In Hebrews chapter 5, he talks about the high priest. He says he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. You and I have to realize that all of us are susceptible to being overtaken, to something tricking us into doing that which is wrong. If any man is overtaken in any trespass, the word trespass here is not the same word that's ordinarily translated sin. The word that's ordinarily translated sin means to miss the mark. This word means from a person who would fall down. And really the idea is is something has happened so you slip and fall. I know there's times that perhaps I've been walking near a stream or a creek. And you step on a, a rock that has some moss on it. And before you realize it, you've fallen into the water. I've done that before. I'm assuming most of you have. That's the idea here. You fall, but you didn't intend to fall. You slipped. The writer of the book of Hebrews puts it like this. He says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which have been spoken, or we have heard, lest we drift away. If you're reading the King James, lest we slip. The idea, if you and I are not careful, we're not putting our foot firmly where we ought to. We have to listen to make sure that we are hearing correctly. Psalm 19, 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. If I were to ask you, how many of you know how many mistakes you have made this week? We might say, I I know I did this. I know I did that, but do you suppose that perhaps some of us have done some things that we didn't intend to do? We have been overtaken in a trespass. We have slipped, we have fallen unintentionally. Now he refers to the restorer, those who's going to go try to help them. He said, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. What does he mean by spiritual? Some people have this idea that there's no one capable of being called spiritual. That all of us, because we all possess faults, could never say to anyone else, let me help you. That's ridiculous. 
The idea of spiritual is a person who has a spiritual mindset. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Carnally minded people think only in this world's terms. Spiritually minded people think in terms of the future, of heaven and God's things. Spiritually minded people sees that person and recognizes the danger that they are in. A carnally minded person would say, so what? You who are spiritual, he says, restore such a one. The word restore here is such a beautiful word. It means to mend a net. For instance, in Mark 1 and verse 19, talking about the sons of Zebedee, James and John, it says they were also in the boat mending their nets. And for some people today, that just doesn't resonate. Because in our society, we have something that breaks, we throw it away. We have something that tears, we dispose of it. When I was a child, if you got a hole in the knee of your pants, you got a patch on it. If you got a hole in the toe of your sock, you mended it. Your mama did. You got your, you you repaired what was broken. That's the idea here, is that the person whose life is torn needs to be knitted back together, mended back together, restored back to its useful condition. And a spirit of gentleness. Some translations use the word meekness. The word indicates the showing of restraint. Oh yes, you could look at somebody who has made a mistake and you could come down on them hard. Or you can choose to be careful about what you say and restrained in what you say. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 21, What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in a spirit of gentleness? How do you want me to come to you? Do you want me to come to you forceful and hard? Well, let me ask you the question. What if it's you? How do you want someone to approach you? I like people to be nice to me. I suppose most of us like that. If I've made a mistake and I assume that I have made it because I didn't intend to, coming down and saying, you made a mistake, is not going to make me any better. In fact, most of the time it's going to make most of us recoil and try to defend ourselves. But if you come with gentleness, that's a whole different way of approach. You see, the truth is, is that if you go back to chapter 5, He talks about in verse 16 about the flesh and the spirit and the conflict that goes on in a person's life. Verses 19 through 21, he talks about the works of the flesh. Verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the spirit. In verse 15, he talked about not to bite and devour one another. And he is constantly trying to hammer home the point that you've got to get rid of that old man and his doings. You should have crucified him. 1 John 5, 16 says, 
If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for him who commits a sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. You come to a brother, you come to a sister, and you realize they didn't intend to make this mistake. They didn't intend to sin like this. You pray for them. You help them. You you make it where it's easy for them to come back. Jude verses 22 and 23. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save them with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Then he ends with considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You know, while you're trying to help someone else with a fault in their own life, each of us have to realize, I myself am subject to weakness. I myself are in the same predicament of this person I'm trying to help. I am subject to making the same kind of mistakes unintentionally. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. You believe that you're beyond sinning? Then you need to step back and realize you can fall as well. Perhaps one of the strongest of the apostles, the one who would step out and take a lead was the apostle Peter. And in Matthew 26, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter didn't believe he was going to fall, but Peter did fall. You and I may not believe that we're going to give in to some sort of temptation, But the truth is, if we're not careful, we will. Looking at yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now the second part of this is found in verse 2. And that involves a love for one's brethren. And he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now the goal is to help rather than hurt. Because if I go back to chapter 5, which is the context that leads up to this, I see in verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Evidently, among the Galatian churches, there was an attitude that says, I'll get you. He said, if you do that, realize that that is counterproductive. That's going to hurt you. Because if I come at you with fangs, you know how you're going to come back at me? With fangs. And he says that's going to end up consuming one another. Now I can tell you that when Jesus was trying to help men with the burden of sins... There were people who did not care that others were carrying heavy burdens. In Luke chapter 11, there is a verse there that reveals the way a lot of people were conducting themselves. 
He said, Woe also to you lawyers, for you load men's burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves will not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Not only do you have a brother that's struggling under the weight of sin, he said what you're doing, you're just heaping guilt on top of him in addition to it. And he said, you're not doing anything to try to relieve those burdens. Love renders aid. In James chapter 2 verse 8, if you fulfill the royal law, really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Matthew 7, 12, Therefore whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Love looks at someone else and says, What do they need? How can I meet that need? What can I do for them? 1 John 3, 16-18, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You've got to do something if you love them. You see your brother bearing under a heavy load, you lift that load. Now finally... Let's look at verses 3 through 5. A load to bear. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. The word burden in verse 2 and the word load in verse 5 are different words. The one found in verse 2, bear one another's burdens, is talking about a heavy, heavy load that a person can barely carry. In verse 5, where he talks about each one shall bear his own load, is like a person's backpack. His load to carry, the natural versus one that's unbearable. What's the meaning of this? Ultimately, everyone must take responsibility for his own obligations. Now, if I choose to sin, who is responsible for that? Well, it may be that you've not told me that I've committed that sin, but ultimately I bear the responsibility for that sin. And every one of us have to do a little bit of self-evaluation to make sure that I'm standing right before God. Romans 14, 12, so then each of us will give account of himself to God. I'm going to stand before God and answer for me and what choices I have made and what I have done with what I have been given. You yourself will also stand before God and give those accounts for what you have done. I think about a man like Cain. You know, Cain was in a particularly bad situation. 
he had made an offering to God, one that God rejected. God said, I don't respect your offering, Cain. I don't know if the reason why God rejected it was because of what he offered or the way he offered it. I just know that God didn't respect Cain's offering. When Cain realized that God did not accept his offering, Cain responded like this, Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not, sin lies at your door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Did Cain have the ability to choose to do right and God accept what he did? Yes, he did. Then God comes along and he says to Cain, Okay, Cain, I'm going to banish you. Verse 13, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. No, it's not, Cain. You got what you deserved. You must bear your own load. You made your choice. This is now what you get. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, Jeremiah is looking at Jerusalem and the choices that Jerusalem has made and how sometimes we throw up our hands and say, it's not all my fault. And Jeremiah writes, why should a living man complain? A man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search out and examine our ways and let us turn back to the Lord. He said, God looks at you and He didn't put you in that situation. You put yourself there. Why then can you complain or why should you complain? You shouldn't. You did that. It was your choice. Now let's summarize it. The good news is that someone cares for us. When you read the gospel, you realize that God cared for each of us enough that He sent Jesus to die for our sins so that none of us would perish but have everlasting life. The exception being those who believe on Him. Those of us who are His children now, those who are trying to walk, which He's contemplating here in Galatians chapter 6. He said in 1 Peter 5 verse 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. God cares what's happening in your life. In fact, many people care. Not only does God care, but I can assure you that there are people here who care about your soul. Paul would describe all the difficulties that he had faced in life. You get to chapter 11 and verse 28, and he says, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul cared about every individual and every one of those congregations where he had worked. The elders here care about your soul. 
They're giving account for it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The preachers here care about your soul. The members here care about your soul. Don't think that no one cares. Sometimes we don't always know. Sometimes we don't always understand. Philippians 4 verse 10, Paul said about the Macedonians, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. You just didn't know when and where how to help me. But he said, I know that you care. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we don't see everybody's burdens as we ought. But I can assure you that there are those who care for your soul. But you've got to seek help. When you realize that there is sin in your life, the worst thing to do is to try to cover it up. The worst thing to do is try to to hide it. The thing to do is to deal with it. If you're not a Christian this morning, what a wonderful privilege you have. The mercy of God has been extended to you to allow you to live to this moment in time. There is an opportunity, there is a privilege for you to be able to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm sorry for the sins which I have committed in this life and I want to be forgiven. You come forward and we'll baptize you for the remission of your sins. That's exactly what the people did in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. If you're a brother, you're a sister in Christ and sin is in your life, you need to be restored, you need to be mended We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. If you'll open your songbook now to number 454, and if you are subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come as together we stand and sing?